to Feasting on Design. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm. This week on the podcast, I'm chatting with Savannah Glitchka. We chat about her love for manga and how that led her to selling art at conventions, plus how it's influenced everything from her illustration style to the fashion she loves. We also get into how she uses references and influences from other cultures to help inform her character design, working with her dad, Vaughn, struggling with ADHD, and so much more. This episode of Feasting on Design is supported by the new season of Wireframe, a podcast all about how UX can help technology fit into our lives. Hosted by Koi Vin, Senior Director of Design at Adobe, Wireframe is a show for designers and the design curious. Just search Wireframe in your favorite podcast app, like the one you're listening to right now, to find Wireframe. This episode is brought to you by Roasters Marketplace. Roasters Marketplace curates small batch specialty coffee from 29 different micro-roasters around the country. You can find them at roastersmarketplace.com or on social media. And use the code FEAST for free shipping on your first order. If you like the podcast and want to help support us, head over to patreon.com slash feastingondesign. Every dollar helps us cover hosting costs, upgrade equipment, and keep the podcast going. When you become a Feasting on Design patron, you'll get access to exciting Feasting on Design news before anyone else, plus stickers and t-shirts. So please help support the podcast by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash feasting on design. Savannah, thanks for joining me today. Hi, it's great to talk to you. Yeah, so it's been a while. It's been, what, 10 months since we've chatted? Yeah, since, it's been a while. Something since like November, that. November, right? Yeah, since November, so that's less than 10 months. I'm not going to do the math on that. There was a reason I was <laughs> an art okay. major. So, yeah, same. <laughs> so give me, give me your your quick story in a nutshell of who you are and what you do. So I am Savannah Glitchka, daughter of pretty well-known designer Vaughn Glitchka. Um, I do graphic design and I actually work for him. Uh, I do a lot of personal illustration too. So if you go to like my Twitter, most of the time you won't see a lot of the graphic design work because that'll be mostly concentrated on like my dad's profile. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'll see a lot of my personal art as well as commissions and fan art for various like social uh, pop culture stuff I like. Mm-hmm. So let, let's talk about that pop culture stuff that you like because um, when we did Design XL back in November, I butchered the pronunciation of manga and and, call, oh, yeah. and called it manga and and you called yeah. me out on it so tell me a little bit about that and how you got into it so manga and anime like really started popping off for my age demographic about in middle school mm-hmm. like there was like dragon ball z and the stuff that they would show on cartoon network but i was never really allowed to watch a lot of that stuff sure so it's a little violent I, like, for a 12 year old yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> So once like middle school came around, like there was almost this like subculture of people like storing manga in their lockers. And if you wanted to read a certain series, you would have to borrow it from someone. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I got inter- uh, introduced to it initially was through kind of the locker sharing subculture at my middle school. 
And so I would read uh, like Chobits and Tokyo Mew Mew and Fruits Basket and Sergeant Frog. And it was kind of an interesting subculture at my school where if you borrowed someone's manga, they usually had like a list of rules that you had to follow when you borrowed it. So like you can only open the pages so far because otherwise you'll leave a crease in the spine. Just like really asinine little things that no if food you, or like, beverages allowed around the book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got initially introduced to it. And then as far as reading goes mm-hmm. and then uh, YouTube was also starting to make a big play around that time where it was becoming a more mainstream thing. Mm-hmm. So there would be episodes of anime uploaded in three parts at like the smallest aspect ratio. Back then it was like 360 DPI or whatever. Sure, yeah. So just the tiniest little things. And I remember one summer, I don't know why, but I barely did anything with my friends that summer. I just spent the whole summer watching the entirety of Sergeant Frog on YouTube. So like almost a hundred episodes <laughs> oh, wow. in three parts at that small, like aspect ratio on YouTube. <laughs> it's amazing that you can see now. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> when, you know, as, as your fandom grew, you know, at this time, since I'm pretty sure you've always been an artistic kid. Um, yeah. Not that you're a kid now you're an adult. Um, yeah. But were you drawing it at starting to draw it at the same time that you were watching it or did that come later? Oh yeah. I went through my, my very early weeaboo phase in my art where you could tell that I had switched from trying to draw like a cartoony style to like very, very hard right into like anime style. Mm -hmm. And it was really bad. Like looking back at it, I look at some of that art and I'm like, Ooh, I don't like that. But I mean, (laughs) it did lead to everybody sucks when they start out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you can definitely see the influences in my art at that age, mm-hmm. the like manga influences where you try to draw the eyes a certain way and the nose and the faces are all like really pointy and stuff. Yeah. Well, they do kind of have yeah. that style. So it, I, I see how it goes. It's 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 learning that subtle softening that that comes with practice. Yeah, definitely. So there's also the the infamous how to draw manga books that were being circulated with just like. <laughs> The absolute worst art in them, like all those Christopher Hart books where you just look back and just like cringe because there's like one or two good illustrators that they clearly hired to like do the cover. Sure. And like maybe one of the tutorials. And then the rest are just like they hired some like 14 year old off of DeviantArt to do them and they just look like. Oh, I had forgotten about DeviantArt. Does that still exist? It does. They apparently just changed like the UI. It's. I never actually got into DeviantArt. That was kind of like I skipped that kind of phase of like an anime person. I I, I remember signing up for it and thinking, oh, I'm going to post some of the stuff that I do, and then going on and looking yeah. at it, and it was all like creepy fanfics, borderline yeah. drawing porn stuff, and I was like, yeah, no, this isn't for me, and I just quickly got rid of it. Yeah, I I installed it. I, well, I didn't install it. I made an account and posted like a few things, but I never really understood like how to interact with people on there. Like it wasn't. Yeah, I don't. Think I don't know if it was just way. the UI or something. I don't, yeah. yeah, it just like wasn't very easy to navigate, so I didn't really use it very much. It was it was very clunky. I remember there mm-hmm. were a bunch of people who seemed to be trying to rip off Coop. Um, yep. And and 
his stuff is already out there and they made it so much worse. Yeah. I I never really got into DeviantArt. I I did use Tumblr a lot though when that first came out. Mm-hmm. I have like an art blog on there still that I update sometimes, but <laughs> I I use like Flickr for a lot of my art back then too and then Facebook once that, you know, came out, but mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. But I never really got into DeviantArt like a lot of people. So which is honestly kind of surprising, but yeah. <laughs> so is 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 the manga route how you got into cosplay and going to conventions and stuff like that? Yes. I remember my first convention, a few of my friends were going to be boothing at an artist LA table and they didn't even have the art. They just had like hair accessories that I had made. Mm-hmm. But I saw them selling stuff in the artist alley and I kind of walked around to the, all the other artists and saw like artists were doing like fan art prints and selling like prints on displays or they'd have like buttons or stickers and just kind of like those like little handicraft art things that Mm -hmm. were really interesting I'm like wow these people are like making money at a con that's pretty neat and a couple of my friends had that booth they didn't sell a lot because it wasn't it wasn't really like the right market for that kind of thing but it still got me interested in like oh what if I printed out some of my like fan art of whatever and just like came and sell it the next year Mm -hmm. and my friend Jenna had gotten a table the next year that they had the convention and invited me to table share, which is kind of a tradition at cons where if you haven't really boothed before, you can table share with someone. And that way you're not like sinking in the full like $150 or whatever for a table. Sure. So you can split it up. And so I went with her and I sold little pieces of paper that were just like eight and a half by 11s just printed out from my dad's (laughs) printer. And I just sold them for $5 each. And I remember making like, $400 $400 and I was just like losing my mind at how much money that was for like someone my age back then. That's a, I mean, that 400 bucks still isn't anything to sneeze at. Yeah. You I know? was really excited. I'm like, oh, damn, this is a pretty cool thing. I should try this again. Yeah. And but so I mean, 400 bucks selling them at 500, five bucks pop is that's a, it's a pretty good yeah. haul. Yeah. And so then that kind of introduced me to the whole convention circuit scene, which is something that. I don't feel like a lot of designers are aware of. Mm -hmm. Like that's almost like a whole subculture of kind of the art industry in of itself is just going to conventions. And obviously like with COVID happening right now, that's like affecting a lot of people's, you know, income. Like I have friends that I've made over the years. But yeah, so that got me introduced to like convention circuits and stuff. And so as my friend would start getting into more conventions, I'd start applying for them two separately. And then like whoever got in, we would share the table. Mm -hmm. Or if we both got in, we'd like invite other friends to the table with us. Mm -hmm. And so I did that for years. Um, I still do it occasionally, but obviously with things going on right now, haven't been able to get into anything. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I mean, these conventions are pretty lucrative. There's a reason why a lot of artists kind of use it as their main source of income even mm-hmm. because if they can get into like three or four conventions a year and pull in like 10 grand per con that I mean that's that's more than a lot of people make for their base income salary sure when yeah. when you started doing this and and seeing that you could make more than just four hundred dollars um did it did you start to notice a difference in the style of art you were creating for it Definitely. Yeah. The more I kind of did these conventions, like my style clearly developed a lot. And I would attribute a lot of my growth as an artist to these conventions because I was having to put out pieces for fan art and I was having to do them 
for whatever series had just come out or whatever manga was starting to get popular. So I was having mm-hmm. to keep updated to, you know, keep up with the demand of whatever was going to be a big seller. So that definitely, like, encouraged my, like, growth as an artist. Mm-hmm. And I also, like, you know, just seeing all the other artists at conventions, like, I became to started to become friends with them and, like, see their styles and what I liked about their styles. And so I'd try that in my own pieces. And it just kind of, like, was an, an amalgamation of just, like, my influences from like different media or different like mainstream pop culture stuff as well as with like smaller artists where I just like oh I like how they draw like this part of the face or I like how they do bodies or I like how their poses like you know just taking kind of pulling from all different sources to kind of create your own style and I feel like a lot of people don't realize that's how a lot of artists get their style is just like some most artists get their style yeah, they just like a melting pot of all their influences and stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a good reason that there's that book by Austin Kleon that's steal like an artist. It's Yeah, exactly. You know, you you learn by mimicking and copying others to start with a lot of times and then Yeah. go from there and that evolves into your own thing. Mhm. As you're building and growing and learning more about defining your style what were some characteristics that popped out to you um definitely the way I drew faces I remember in high school I would draw faces and like head shapes specifically I was kind of stuck in what what's known as like same face syndrome yeah every kind everyone kind of looked the same and seeing some of these other artists and just how like they diversified not only the faces but like the body types and kind of just the character Mm -hmm character design aspects of illustration definitely helped me to kind of like push out of that and just become a better artist in regards to just like character design. Whereas like, I just like broke out of that face problem. Mm -hmm. And so I would, you know, use those other influences and stuff to help kind of beep up my own repertoire with character design and just stuff like that. When when it comes to character design, what are... Break that down for me. Break down kind of the aspects that go into or how you approach it of designing a character. I definitely try to think, like, especially when I'm designing a character for my own uses, I try to kind of think about their personality and who they are as a person first. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because that will definitely influence, like, what clothes they wear or how they style their hair or how, if they wear makeup, how they do that. But um I think one of the major aspects of character design that I really enjoy is doing silhouettes Mm -hmm. where a character with a really defined, nice silhouette that stands out from the other characters is going to be much more effective than just like a copy paste kind of style where you'd use like, like I said before, the same body, the same head and just change like the outfit and hair. So Mm -hmm. I try most of the time nowadays to work with silhouettes first where I work with shapes before actually trying to do the details. So I'll... Like on this character I designed for the D&D campaign that we were playing before everything happened, I am playing like a cat folk. And so just kind of roughing out like the body shapes to kind of make almost like like a little sack kind of body and then just putting the head on top <laughs> and being like, okay, this, this silhouette is nice and mm-hmm. then building on top of that. Okay. And I think that um, that's one of the strongest aspects of character, character design that I enjoy. Yeah. When when it comes to developing a backstory to inform the detail of your character, how do you approach that? A lot of daydreaming. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have ADHD, so it's very I, easy so for me I. to space out. <laughs> so that's how a lot of my characters kind of come into play. 
So I have like a base cast, you could say, of mm-hmm. characters already and just kind of just like letting my mind wander and thinking about different situations I could be in and, uh, oh, there needs to be this character for this role. What would they be like? And then, you know, just my mind wanders for like an hour and I come back into the real world and I'm like, oh, that happened. And then I have like another character. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of just like kind of thinking about stuff, thinking about other influences, mm-hmm. just, you know, letting your your mind do its thing. Which might be easier for some people than others. Sure. Well, since you brought up the ADHD, how how do you deal with that as far as being able to stay focused and not constantly wander off into the realm of daydreams? Because I I know a lot of us, a lot of us creative people have ADHD, whether it's actual diagnosed or self-diagnosed. And we all have different methods of dealing with it but how do you approach it so i used to be on medication for it back when i was a kid Mm -hmm. but honestly i kind of hated being medicated because i did as a kid it almost felt like someone like took the plug in the back of my head that was the power for my creativity and whenever i took medication it was just like ripping that out Mm -hmm. and it was just like i felt like the most boring person so eventually i told my parents like i don't want to be on medication anymore and went off and it was really hard to kind of like learn ways to cope with it Mm -hmm. so I kind of I mean right now I'm bouncing my legs so that's one way like (laughs) I do the little leg bounce whenever I'm trying to like stay focused because like doing something with like my legs or my hands or whatever like sure it helps a little bit but a lot of it is just been really hard ingrained like I have to focus on this I need to get it done like if I set a hard deadline it's a lot easier for me to get something done where as like with something that I just want to do for fun, I feel like it's almost harder for me to do that because I don't have that pressing urgency mm-hmm. that, you know, you need like to get like a client project done. Like they need it by this day. They need this sketch stage by tomorrow. And then we need to have a final version by Friday. That's like a lot easier for me to do than like, oh, I want to draw this character sometime. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the times if I don't set a hard deadline of I want to get this done by then, I'll just keep thinking that, like, oh, I want to draw this character sometime. So oh, the, I want to draw this sometime. The never-ending loop of procrastination. Yeah, the procrastination is the hardest. Yeah, I, I I deal with the same thing. When I was on a kid, when I was a kid, I was on Ritalin and got off that mm-hmm. in right before high school. Yeah, and just kind of had to. I mean, it was almost like I physically had to force myself to concentrate, and the fidgeting yeah. and you know different types of fidgeting helped me focus. And I I say that as I just picked up my pencil and I'm like twirling it in my fingers. Um, and then, you know, was off medication until this, this year actually. And I got back on medication and it has helped so much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's one of, sometimes I think, go ahead. Oh, sometimes I think it might be interesting to see what it would be like taking it now, because I don't know if it's just like being a kid, like it was affecting me different than it would now as an adult. But there's still that like kind of nagging fear of like, what if it just saps away your creativity again? You become a husk of who you are personality wise. Yeah. Well, I mean, I will say for me, it has not done that. It is. That's good. If anything, it's boosted my confidence. I don't feel like trapped by the procrastination that I would do yeah. when it would come to stuff. And it, like I would end up procrastinating even on client projects and stuff like that until it was last minute and then forcing myself yeah. to do it. And I've, I've kind of gotten out of that cycle where I'm like, no, I get it in. I'm going to start working on it right away. 
you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit there and wait and wait and wait to be struck by inspiration that people could see me doing the air quotes, you know, cause it's just, it's not always going to come, especially when it comes to client work. It's, you've got, you've got to learn how to be creative without being struck by inspiration. And, and I think for me, at least getting back on medication has helped me be able to focus more and, and do that. That's really good. Yeah. When, when you're, when you're not stuck in the procrastination cycle and you're working on actual client work, um, you work with your dad. How, how is that dynamic? Cause most people don't work with their parents. <laughs> yeah. So when I was a kid, I don't know. Have you watched the show psych? Yeah. 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 Okay. So, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, it's a show about like a guy who pretends to be like a psychic, but in the show, Sean's dad, who's the main character, Sean, mm-hmm. uh, his dad, when he was growing up would present these situations to Sean and his dad's a police police officer, detective Mm -hmm. or whatever. So he would show Sean how to use his like insight and just like skill of observation to kind of detect these things that people wouldn't normally detect. Mm -hmm. And it would be like, see that guy over there? He's like, and then he would break it down like kind of like Sherlock where he's like figures out like where he came from. Oh, he has mud on his boots that like he was out like hiking or whatever. Mm -hmm. My dad kind of did the same thing with design in that way where when I was growing up, he'd show me little like quirks of vector building or like the art of like graphic tension. So he'd be Mm -hmm. like, where's the graphic tension in this? And I'd be able to point it out. So over time he kind of like was almost training me to be a designer in that way. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of like an easy thing to start working with him because I had kind of already been doing that at that point where he would bring me on to like do sketches for a project or build an aspect of a design for him. So he'd have me like do little things to start out with. And I actually helped him build a large amount of, of designs for his, uh, take and make vector Mm -hmm. art book, which is sold out now, unfortunately, and like going for like $400 on Amazon. Yeah. But (laughs) if only he would see a cut of of that $400. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) So I did a lot of the, the builds for that. Um, So even before I was, like, actually working for him full-time, I was still doing projects. So it wasn't too much of a big change to just start working on him, working with him Mm full-time on larger client projects and kind of, you know, starting off with, like, little things and then eventually moving on to doing bigger projects like we did a couple years ago, which I can't talk about, but... Mm -hmm. Just, like, big (laughs) client projects where you see them in stores, like, on shelves kind of thing. yeah. When, yeah. when it came to learning, when it came to learning art or learning how to be art directed from him, did, was there any pushback since he was your dad, um, on a that? A little. On your I, I definitely say I, it's a lot easier for me to push back on things that I believe are good design wise because he's my dad. Mm-hmm. Like if. My boss wasn't my dad. I'd probably feel a little bit more hesitant to, mm-hmm. but because he is, <laughs> you seen if he's my listening. dad. Oh, I know, right? Yeah, I'm recording in his office, so I'm like peeking every once in a while. Like, is he listening? But no, because he is my dad. I feel like there is a little bit more wiggle room to be like, no, trust me, this is good. Mm-hmm. And it goes the same way too, where you know, if I do something that he doesn't think 
or he thinks that could be executed better. Mm-hmm. He he will show me rather than just being like, no, this is wrong, change it. Mm-hmm. Like he shows me like why it's bad mm-hmm. or like how it could be improved better, which I think like honestly should just be kind of standard when you're working with someone regardless. Should be. Especially <laughs> in like an art director sense. Yeah. Like it, it, it really does no good to just be like, no, this is bad, change it and not explain why it's not effective design or how it could be better. Yeah. Criti- so critique we push without each other explanation back is just criticism. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So it's, it's not very hard for us to be kind of assertive with each other. Like when it comes to noticing things that couldn't be, could be improved. Like not too long ago, he was doing a design for a place in town that was like a youth center. Mm-hmm. And he was showing me the different, you know, options that he was giving them color wise and I was just like no 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 he's like what and I'm like these colors are not youth oriented like he had chosen like kind of like washed out more like neutral colors and Mm -hmm. I'm like get this kids like bright neon colors like that is what in that's what's in like you look at video games all the ones centered towards kids like Animal Crossing, Splatoon, Mario, like all those Nintendo games where it's like bright, fruity colors. Like mm-hmm. that's what kids like. If it Especially looks like a Skittle, use if that If it color. looks like a Skittle, <laughs> them kids are going to love it. And Skittles but are yeah, delicious. So I was able to kind of like show him like... Especially when you're trying to attract a youth audience and they may not know about it. If they drive by the sign and it's not a bright color they probably are not going to notice it. Like, if it's Mm -hmm. the same color as the majority of, like, kind of adult-oriented business in town, like doctor's offices, dentists, like, stuff that kids just kind of glaze over and not Mm -hmm. even notice, like, they're not going to notice it. So I'm like, try to make this neon green. Try, like, magenta. Try, like, really bright pink. Try, like, really bright blues. And he did, and the clients loved it. So I'm like, trust me, I know what I'm doing. (laughs) Like, I'm more in tune with what kids like than you are, so listen to me. And we kind of, like, rag on each other about that kind of (laughs) stuff, like... When we know our audiences, like, I am very in touch with, like, what the youth, quote-unquote, would like. Well, you are much closer in age to them than he is, so. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) He's out of touch. (laughs) No, just kidding. You said that, not me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What are some other, what are some of the challenges that come from having your dad as your boss? Um. Well, we're very alike in the fact that we're both pretty stubborn. Mm-hmm. So there's been a few times where we really butt heads over something, like where like I'll design something or he'll design something, and I think that it could be approached in a better way or he thinks the same thing regarding my stuff. And since we're both kind of stubborn, we do fight back on some things. Sure. So there's been a few times where like we really get angry with each other because like we want our option more Mm -hmm. than like we want to change it but in the same like i mean we're not like getting angry at each other over personal things we're just getting angry at each other over design so it's a lot easier to be like oh whatever i'll just change it whereas like you know with personal stuff it's harder yeah so at least we're not getting angry at each other about that kind of stuff (laughs) what what are some of the pros of working with your dad a lot of free time which is really nice um (laughs) Because he's my dad, I can be like, I need to go to a doctor's off doctor's appointment, and he can't really say anything because he wants my well. You know, he cares about my personal well being. Yeah, his well being. Your, your well being is more important to him than anything. <laughs> yeah, so I can kind of use that as leverage. Just like, no, I need to take a day off. I'm not feeling good, and he's not like 
calling me in like some McDonald's manager, like, you need to replace so-and-so. They took a day off. It's like, <laughs> I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff, which I'm honestly very thankful for. I have a lot of friends who work retail and I hear the horror stories of bad managers. So. Uh, they're all it's over the nice. place. Yeah. So. so very thankful for that. Yeah. I also get to work on a lot of cool projects, which is really, really nice. Uh, I know a lot of people, especially like, you know, first job designers, they don't get to work on a lot of stuff that is really interesting to them. Mm -hmm. like I've gotten to work on like the D&D &D logo and like major brands that, like I said before, you'll see in stores, like stuff that people will actually see. High profile you know. clients. Yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty rare for a first job, I would think. Generally, I've, I've known some people who have lucked into it, but very, yeah. it's, it's few and far between. Definitely. I've known more so people I, who I feel have, very fortunate. I've known more people who have first job gone to work at like Penny Saver and putting together yeah. those crappy little layouts and stuff like that. Yeah. Layouts so. and brochures and just boring things, boring, busy work. Yep. So not that that isn't an aspect of every designer's repertoire that they have to do stuff like that, but yeah, when it's, that's what you do day in and day out, it can be uh, very monotonous. Yeah, definitely. So I'm I'm very thankful that I get to work on such fun things. Like a lot of mascot design recently is what we've been doing. So I really enjoy that kind of illustrative aspect to design. So, so yeah, walk me through that because, and I don't mean this as an insult when I say this, but you don't <laughs> strike me as the uh, world's biggest sports fan. So doing sports I'm logo really design. Not. I really hate most sports, to be honest. Like, so do I. In Twitter, they have that, like, sports tab mm -hmm. in the, like, explore yeah. section. And I really wish I could just freaking remove it. You and me I both. I really don't like sports. Um, but I do enjoy a lot of the design aspects behind sports. Mm -hmm. Like, like the mascots, for example, I really enjoy. Just because it's more of an illustrative mark and you can kind of be a little bit more aggressive with the personalities because, you know, you want your team to win. Like it's a, the whole fight mentality. Sure. So, um, I do really, really enjoy mascot design. It's probably one of my favorite things to do. Ironically, even though I don't like sports. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I really, really enjoy mascots. And honestly, like, uh, one of my favorite Twitter accounts is this one called Mondo mascots, which is all about I haven't heard of that mascots one. in Japan. Yeah, it's all about mascots in Japan. Like oh. Japan has, like if you think Americans love like sports mascots, Japan loves like any kind of mascot. Like they have mascots for like everything. It actually got to be such a problem that I remember reading an article about how they had to like start culling some of the mascots for different things because they were starting to look too similar. Oh, geez. So like they have like, they have like prefectures and districts and each one will have like a mascot for wherever you live. So if you live in like, one part of Tokyo, they'll have a different mascot than, like, another part of Tokyo. It's crazy. <laughs> There's so many. But so this account just, like, kind of documents, like, the daily goings-on of these mascot characters where, like, oh, this mascot appeared in, like, Harajuku to celebrate some, like, celebration. Or, like, this new district has a new mascot design. And so it's really interesting to see, like, their mascots compared to, like, American mascots for things. Sure. Because the design sensibilities are so different. Mm -hmm. And I honestly kind of prefer a lot of the aspects of design for their mascots. Like, they're a lot cuter than American mascots. Mm -hmm. Like, if you see, like, <clears throat> like a food mascot over there, it looks like you would want it as, like, a plushie, 
Whereas you don't really want to get a plushie of like the Lucky Charms character. Like that would be a little creepy. Yeah, it's a little creepy. Yeah, but like their mascots are just like you just want to hug them. They're just so great. They're like little balls of joy. I love them. Yeah. This episode of Feasting on Design is supported by the new season of Wireframe, a podcast all about how UX can help technology fit into our lives. Hosted by Koi Vin, Senior Director of Design at Adobe, Wireframe is a show for designers and the design curious. This season of Wireframe leans into how design intersects with the changing world around us. There are stories about how user experience design helps people manage stress and sleepiness, find something good to watch on an online streaming service, help individuals, creators, and social causes through crowdfunding, and more. It explores how design helps older family members understand technology, and the podcast also chats with designers trying to make voting easier. Turns out, it's really hard. You'll hear from designers and design leaders who have built UX and UI experiences for companies like Headspace, Patreon, Kickstarter, Withings, and other companies that are putting design at the forefront of their company's experience. Whether you're into UX, UI, technology, or just curious about the way design impacts our everyday lives, I hope you'll check out the show. Just search Wireframe in your favorite podcast app, like the one you're using right now. I'll also include a link in the show notes. My thanks to Wireframe for supporting Feasting on Design. Roasters Marketplace curates small batch specialty coffee from 29 different micro roasters from around the country. Not only can you shop an amazing selection of single origin beans, but you can find out the story behind each craftsman. They even have their own podcast, so you can meet your coffee roaster. Roastersmarketplace.com is not your typical coffee website. You can shop by origin, roast level, processing method, and even flavor notes. Whether you're looking for a delicious light roast with hints of blueberry and almonds, or a bold dark roast with notes of dark chocolate and molasses, Roasters Marketplace can help you on the quest to find the perfect cup. Become a Roasters Marketplace member and get free shipping on every order, including a great selection of subscriptions. You can find them at RoastersMarketplace.com or on social media. Use the code FEAST for free shipping on your first order. I'm a huge fan of Design Cuts. It's an exceptional marketplace with highly curated, top-quality products and a wonderfully engaged community of creative people. They are constantly running incredible specials on bundle packs of design assets and fonts for up to 99% off the regular price. Their products are some of the best out there, and their customer service is top-notch. If you head over to feastingondesign.com slash designcuts, you can check out their latest bundle pack at an exceptional discount and help support the podcast. If you haven't tried Webflow yet, when building a website, what are you waiting for? Webflow is a great no-code alternative to WordPress. You get so much more control over the design of the site compared to your traditional templated no-code sites like Squarespace or Wix. Give it a shot on your next site. Visit feastingondesign.com slash Webflow to sign up for your free trial today. With When it comes to pulling reference from other cultures, how do you approach that? Um, I have quite a few different ways of doing that. I follow a lot of artists and just different kind of outlets of media from different cultures, like a lot of Japanese influence clearly, but I also follow like Korean artists and Chinese artists, a lot of like Eastern kind of more Asian artists. Mm. And then I also really like, like Italian stuff too, like Italian artists and a lot of like kind of Scottish and Irish artists. Mm -hmm. So I follow quite a few of them 
as well as like just general like kind of aesthetic blogs. So I actually have like multiple blogs on Tumblr that I use specifically for gathering references for different aspects of design or just illustration. So I have like one that's kind of all like cutesy centric that mm-hmm. I use for like when I do, you know, fan art prints or whatever. And then I have one that's strictly like fantasy kind of styled stuff that I use when I do like characters for my own stuff. Um, just like kind of exploring different like tags, even just going on Instagram and looking up like a tag for like Harajuku or whatever, if you're looking for like fashion or just like cute stuff in general. So you're going to have to explain what Harajuku is to me. Harajuku is a district in Japan. Um, it's known for being kind of like a hub for different fashion subcultures, okay. one of which I am a part of. Um, they have a lot of stores centric to those fashion uh, fashion substyles, and it's one of the places I really want to go. But uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm catching my breath, <laughs> talking real fast here. Um, it's really in, there's uh, quite a few blogs and accounts on Twitter that document these kids outfits and it's just a hub of creativity it's so fascinating to see these outfits put together it's almost like you know like the punk scene from like england or in the 80s or whatever Mm -hmm. you'd see photos of like these kids outfits it's like that but modern and it's like neon colors and just goth just threw up all over and i love it So Harajuku kind of has just become a shorthand for these subcultures. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I'm going to Harajuku or like this is the Harajuku style. So it's like you got like the goths, you got the punks, you got the EGL fashion. You've got like neon cyber goth crazy stuff. Just like stuff that you look like someone took an outfit and they threw it in a grinder and then put it on. It's just like crazy. (laughs) I love it. That sounds comfortable. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When, but yeah, so it's like really good inspiration for like character design too. I was I was about to say, do you use a lot of that to inform your character design? Because I've seen some of your Definitely. stuff, and it's 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 got a lot of that sensibility to it. Definitely, I feel like it's just such a hub. It's just like a well of creativity and inspiration. Looking at like these like alternative, you know, fashion outfits, it's just it's just really fun to look at visually. Mm-hmm. So it's a great way to kind of like experiment with character design, especially if you're you're kind of unfamiliar with those kind of substyles. It's a great thing to dip your feet in if you're trying to design a character that's supposed to be more like alternative interest wise. Gotcha. When it comes to your your more personal work and working style, is there a process that you go through? Are there specific tools that you use? How do you, how do you approach that? So for inspiration, I, I tend to look, I will just scroll through those blogs if I don't have anything in particular that I want to draw. And just if I see something that interests me, I'll like kind of either work off that or use that like, Oh, I'd like to try to draw something in that style. But as Mm -hmm. far as tools, um, I draw everything, including sketches to use for final vector artwork in a program called Clip Studio Paint. Mm-hmm. And I haven't heard of that one before. Yeah, it's not very well known, and I wish it was because it's a great, great, great drawing app. Um, you can use it either on desktop or they have an iPad version, which is what I use now. I used to use it on desktop with a Cintiq, but ever since I met Frendon, who is an amazing illustrator and brush maker for Clip Studio... Um, Mm-hmm. He happened to be in my town and brought his iPad with him, so we met up and I got to try it on there. 
It is just the same damn app on iPad, and it's amazing. Like, mm-hmm. I used to have to be, like, straddled with my, my computer if I wanted to get anything done for, you know, sketching or if I needed to draw uh, an illustration or a commission for someone. I used to have to do it at my computer. But now I can do everything on my iPad. Um, it's got a great brush engine. It's got an asset library that is just full of free things people have made that you can just download and try. Um, that includes brushes. That includes textures. That includes a 3D model program mm-hmm. that's in the app if you need a pose reference there's oh, wow. people that upload like pre-posed models in the asset library that you can just use and draw off of um they have tools in the app for making comics it started off as manga studio but mm-hmm. i think i can't remember the developer name it's like smith something that's who originally owned it now it's owned by Celsius. i'm probably butchering that name but i believe they're a japanese company mm-hmm. so it's what a lot of Japanese mangaka, which are uh, comic artists in Japan, it's what they use to draw manga. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're not using traditional tools, that's pretty much the most popular, as far as I know, app for drawing manga over there. Um, it's really great. You can use it for simple things like just sketching, or you can use it to draw like full illustrations or comics. If you go on Twitter and look at my banner or any of the art I've uploaded, I guarantee you it's probably been drawn in that app. Probably on my iPad since that's all I've been drawing on recently. <laughs> well, it's a lot more portable and a lot more convenient. Yeah, it's really great. Um, but yeah, all of my vector artwork starts at a sketch stage. And a lot of the time it's been in that app. Mm-hmm. So if I want to draw anything, it's 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 all that app. It's really nice. I wish more people like knew about it, especially in the design community. I feel like, um, you know, a lot of people, they have the creative cloud suite so they just use photoshop but sure if you mainly focus in illustration you want to get away from like adobe's subscription model like you can buy clip studio for desktop one-time purchase um it's usually like it goes on sale pretty often it was just on sale like a few weeks ago it was like 20 bucks no, that's not that's bad. a one-time purchase yeah it's a one-time purchase even if you just you don't know if you want to use it permanently mm-hmm. Or if you just want to try it out, just nab it when it's on sale. Get some of those asset brushes. Just have a little fun. Just doodle. Mm-hmm. With your love of manga and and the uh, Hirojuku style, what? How has that influenced your personal life? Um, quite a bit actually. Um, I am part of a couple fashion communities. Uh. Mainly one up in Portland. I thought you were just going to pause there and I'm part of a couple. And I was going to be like, okay, how do I follow <laughs> up on that? A couple. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, I actually, if you go on my Instagram, you can see a few pictures. I don't post a lot of like selfies or like pictures sure. of myself online. So usually when you do see me like on Instagram, I'm fully decked out in this style called Elegant Gothic Lolita. And before you say anything, no, it's not related to the book. No, it's not a kink. It's just girls dressing up cute because they like looking like like a freaking cake threw up on them they like the style so um that one started in japan it was created as a way of breaking social norms in like i believe the 70s i could be wrong mana don't hate me um (laughs) so um i do partake in that fashion subculture i just bought another dress the other day when i shouldn't have but it was (laughs) it was on sale 
Um, that I actually really miss hanging out with them. It's been like months now because of everything going on. Sure. But we get together at events. We have like giant tea ceremonies and just dress like a bunch of cakes. It just looks like a bunch of like those Barbie cakes you got when you're like five where you just shove a Barbie <laughs> in the top of a cake. Yep. That's what a lot of us look like. And it's fantastic. <laughs> so that's definitely influenced kind of like my relationships. I've made quite a few friends through those groups. When didn't now, since you're married, does your husband participate in this too? Or is he just kind of go along with it and say, you know, whatever floats he your boat? He definitely thinks I look adorable. I have been wanting, there's a sub style in that, uh, fashion culture, like in that fashion subculture, mm-hmm. there is a sub style to the fashion called OG, which is like, almost like princely looking clothes. Uh-huh. So it's like fancy girl, fancy guy. And I dress up in both. Sometimes I'll dress up in OG or Lolita if I feel like it. Sure. But I've been really wanting to actually make him some OG clothes because he's not opposed to it. Um, I think but he's he not seeking it out either. <laughs> yeah. He kind of wants to dress up like a wizard sometime. I'm like, no, that'll look wrong. So I'm kind of <laughs> trying to think of... I bought a few pattern books recently and have kind of started the venture of like making my own clothing from hand for that fashion culture. Mm-hmm. So I want to eventually try to make some stuff for him too so he can come to meets when, you know, the world's not on fire anymore. <laughs> yeah. Walk me through making your own clothing because I like... I. I can use a sewing machine to sew a straight line, and that is yeah. the extent of it. And I'm not even really good at that. I can sew a yeah. button on something, and that is the my knowledge when it comes to sewing. <laughs> yeah, this is actually kind of like my first venture into making like human-sized clothes. I had mm. previously <laughs> done a lot more like scale model fashion sure. making. Uh, another one of my hobbies is doll collecting. Don't judge me. I know I'm very weird. But so I made a lot of clothing. It depends for on like the type of doll. Scale. Yeah. A lot of people think they look creepy, but I don't. They're called uh, pull-ups. They're like a Korean fashion doll. They're really famous or popular. Do you, the know, the, do you know the Madame Alexander dolls? Do you know I think about? those ones are creepy. Yeah. Yes. I don't those like are creepy the glass to me. doll. Yeah, yeah. Those are creepy I don't to like me. the kind of more baby-ish looking dolls. All the dolls I collect are kind of like mature adult kind of style dolls mm-hmm. where it's like either pull-up or like ball-jointed dolls, which are like the 600 to $700 dolls that are all made out of resin and like strung with elastic. Those are the kind of things I like collecting. Yeah. So, so the cheap ones. I had done a lot of, <laughs> yeah, the cheap, you know, I've sunk a good like couple grand into this hobby. <laughs> but yeah, so all of my sewing beforehand had been made like for that scale. So it's been kind of a jump to like sewing like four stitches, turning, sewing another four stitches, like back stitching like just the tiniest little things where you're using less than a half a yard of fabric mm-hmm. to like buying like a whole bolt of fabric to make one dress mm-hmm. it's been kind of a jump but it's also a lot easier i've found because you're not dealing with like fiddly tiny little pieces so it's been really fun i'm looking forward to hopefully doing some more sewing this weekend gotcha yeah, it's been pretty so i want to jump back into your relationship real quick because your husband's a designer too he is. And you, yeah. you guys met in school, right? 
Yeah, we both met in our design program. My dad had actually had him as a student before I had even met him. Uh-huh. And so when I mentioned that I was thinking about dating him, he's like, wait, let me pull up his, <laughs> his grades. Because <laughs> he was curious how well he did in his class. He's like, eh, he got a B, that's okay. <laughs> but yeah, so we met in our design program first year. And we actually met because he was wearing a jacket from... One of my favorite, probably like honestly my favorite game of all time, Team Fortress 2. He was wearing a jacket with a little emblem on it from one of the characters. I'm like, I play that game. You can sit by me. And so he did. <laughs> and we kind of became friends. I was a little scared of dating at that point, honestly. What's I'd that? been through a couple really horrendous relationships. So honestly, I'd kind of just given up on dating guys at that point. Sure. But um, he was really nice and... Eventually, he asked me out, and I was like, eh, okay. And then I dumped him <laughs> two weeks later. <laughs> but then, Obviously honestly, oh, stick. my God. <laughs> no, it didn't stick. It was the most, like, like rom-com moment ever where, like, the two characters, like, one goes down one side of a hall. The other one goes all the way to the end. And then when they get to the doors, they look back and see each other. That literally happened. I'm like, <sighs> And then later on, I was, like, kind of just thinking about it more. I'm like, Savannah, you just, like, dumped your husband. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> and so eventually, like, the next day I was like, I'm sorry, I was being stupid. And we got back together, and then we got married. <laughs> well, see, yeah, it, worked we out in the, it worked out in the end. Definitely some design stuff yeah. I still feel really bad for that sometimes. Like, I'll be like, I'm sorry I dumped you. And he's like, that was, like, eight years ago. <laughs> Yeah, yeah like, you kind of got to move on past it at this I'm point. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Like, Unless he holds it over your head in some sort of like, fight. I remember like Helvetica. Oh, no, he doesn't. Aerial, That's good. Like, He's very, smart. You know the basics. <laughs> the big but, ones, yeah. yeah. If you show me He's a font, amazing. Like, I'm like, I freaking I love him so much. I don't know what that is. Well, good. That's how marriage is supposed to work. I'd never be able to like figure out. like, no, I hate him. Yeah. No, so, I understand. Well, I, I think I, um, the key to marriage and my, my first wife job will probably agree with this is I love my wife all the time. There are days where I don't always like and her. at that point, yeah. but I, I love her all the time. Font was because I had to. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Basically, yeah. I had to so, look and up And I'm sure she feels the exact same day. way. But now yeah. that yeah. I'm It's really nice having someone like being in a relationship too with someone who understands design and art. But like so many stories I hear of like other people in the designer illustration talking about their significant Yeah, and you can So there's definitely some aspects of design that I at all what they're with and what their spouse does for a living. Like I'm really bad at or you get like really bad at drawing lettering. Yeah, my mom my mom's well meaning. She doesn't like anybody in those like stupid Instagram videos where like they take a people I know like who talk about their significant other, significant other were like, done, like they'll get into a relationship like, with them. You're too good at and this. You're really like, bad. So it's like, I can't do that. Things yeah, for neither them. can I. Can I, I just yeah, like, that, stuff the, or, the just level of jealousy like, that I find for people like, um, who can do hand drawn type I don't want to be their art slave kind of a thing. Overwhelming. That's never fun. It's hard. Like, yeah. it's never I'm fun. also it's fun though, never like, been able to being write able to just like kind of hand, like, either talk like about like handwriting. Oh, Adobe never been consistent. I have to draw like a little picture on all my signatures, otherwise sure. I get like a little note from like really nice. you know the elections you office once I've on submitted my voter ballot. Like your signature did not match. I'm like, yeah, yeah, because I can't write my signature consistently. Last night I was helping him. He's working on a picture of a bunny next to it. That way you know it's me. Pretty soon your signature is just going to become a bunny. Be like, right? Yeah. Like it's kind of nuts. Kind of I've kind of like 
joked about it with my parents. Like, if someone ever tries to forge my signature and they can't draw, they're screwed. Like, they're not going to be able to do it. Yeah. Spot it from a mile away. It's like, nope, that's not mine. Can draw a bunny consistently. Can't write my name consistently. What the heck? Where's the divide here? Where's the disconnect? Mine's close enough where you can tell the same person wrote that chicken scratch. So. Yeah. I don't understand those people who, like my mom. My mom's like, her handwriting is like a cursive typewriter. Like, it's crazy. Like, I swear you can make just a font out of her hand lettering. It's like, I don't get how people do that. As as we're getting kind of close to our time here, I want to hit you with um, some rapid fire questions about food. And just pick the first thing that comes to your mind. Uh, the only rule is you can't pick the same answer for, it's three questions. You can't pick the same answer for any of them. Okay. So what is, what is kind of your earliest food memory can be good or bad? Oh man. My parents, like when I was a kid, they used to give me these, like, I think like when I look back at it, like thinking wise, I remember them being moons, but they're like these banana crackers you gave to babies. Mm -hmm. I remember like loving the crap out of those so much that when I had like some teeth removed like in my teens my mom bought me all this baby food because I couldn't eat hard food and those were one of them Mm -hmm. yeah I they didn't taste very good upon a second introduction (laughs) to them they're kind of nasty but I remember really liking them as a kid very cool um what's your go-to comfort food where you you know that when you've just had a crap day you and just want to pig out on something so if you want to feel like really fancy and like indulgent, my favorite thing to do is like take four bars of Hershey chocolate and half a pack of raspberries, melt the chocolate and then just dump the raspberries in it and mix them all together. So you just kind of have like cereal, but instead of milk, you have chocolate and instead of cereal, you have raspberries. Mm-hmm. It's all melty. And then you just eat it with a spoon until like your mouth is coated in chocolate. It's really freaking good. Sounds pretty good. Raspberries and chocolate go together well, so that works. Yeah. That way you don't have to, like, dip them and put them in the fridge. Just, like, eat them like that. (laughs) Just scarf them down immediately. (laughs) Yep. What is your death row meal, that last meal you can ever have? Hmm. Probably my mother-in-law's tiramisu. That stuff is good, and she hardly ever makes it. I I love tiramisu, so I I can be on board with that. Yeah, she made it for our wedding. It was great. (laughs) Awesome. Savannah, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Where can people find you online? Um, You can find me on Twitter at DoodleFrog or on Instagram at Savannah Fairy. Fairy spelled the Neopets way, not the Disney way. You're going to have to spell that out for people. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. F-A-E-R-I-E. That's how you spell fairy the right way. (laughs) Gotcha. Savannah, thanks so much. I really appreciate you thanks taking for the time. Me. Yeah. It was good catching Thank up with you. you. All right. Go Bye. out and go out and break some bread. Special thanks to Roasters Marketplace for sponsoring this episode of Feasting on Design. Be sure to visit them and pick up some delicious coffee from one of their 29 micro-roasters. You can find them at roastersmarketplace.com or on social media. Use the code FEAST for free shipping on your first order. Thank you to Wireframe for supporting this episode of Feasting on Design. Make sure to search Wireframe in your favorite podcast app 
like the one you're using right now, I've included a link in the show notes where you can find them and listen to more episodes of Wireframe. You can find Savannah on Twitter at DoodleFrog. And be sure to check out the links in the show notes for more ways to keep up with her. I hope you liked this episode of Feasting on Design. Let me know what you think. And if you like it, leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can keep up with the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Feast on Design. And I'm at Jay Frostholm on Dribble, Twitter, and Instagram. Or over on my website, IldisDesign.com.